You are now listening to Theology Applied, a podcast of Eternal City Church, where theology walks the pavement. Welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. Today we will talk about adoption. Not adoption of human parents adopting another human being, but rather God adopting us into his family, making us his sons and daughters. Human adoption is a beautiful picture of this great gospel reality. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Theology Applied, and we are continuing through our Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation, predestination, election, calling, regeneration, faith, repentance, justification, today, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. Only three more to go after today's episode on adoption. So adoption is, in definition, simply God's removal of us from under the dominion and domain of Satan and placing us into his family as sons and daughters of God to be fully realized in the new creation. Wayne Grudem has a simple definition. Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. Now, there's a metaphor uh, in the new birth or regeneration, and then there's a metaphor here in adoption, and they are different. And I think this is helpful to open up with. So John Frame, who has been so helpful to me with his systematic theology, his chapter on adoption, I highly recommend it. Uh, John Frame differentiates regeneration or the new birth and adoption in this way. He says, adoption emphasizes that God admits us into a family that we did not originally belong to. Adoption describes admission to a family that we are not born into. Okay, so you're, you're coming into this family of God, but you're born actually into Satan's family. And we'll get to that in a minute. Frame continues, the two doctrines are different in this way. In regeneration, God grants new life, born again. In adoption, God grants new privileges, a new inheritance. And so here we have the difference, one being born into new life, it's alive spiritually. Adoption is being brought into a new family. God is now our father. Jesus is now our big brother. And then we have the Holy Spirit empowering this new life in this new family. So that's the difference between the new birth and uh, adoption. Now, Here's the difference in one text, John 1, 12 to 13, but to all who did receive him, the him there is Jesus. This is, uh, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, adoption, who were born new birth, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the first one is becoming children of God, adoption, were adopted into God's family. The second part, verse 13, who were born, this is the born again or being regenerate, and then his, his not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, 
points to this is not about you. You didn't choose this. Your other family members didn't choose this. This is of God. The new birth is of God. That's why he ends with, but of God, not of the will of uh, a man, not of the, not of the blood, nor of the flesh, but of God. All right. So there's, there's the difference in one text. Now, our first parents, and by extension, us, believed Satan's lie in the garden. Uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given direct command and revelation from God, and we were to exercise faith and believe God's word. Well, you know the story, the tempter came in and, and contradicted what God had said. And so we're going to pick up there in Genesis 2, 15 to 17 as the ground or foundation for why we need to be adopted. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Cultural mandate. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there's the promise. Don't eat from this tree. If you do, you will definitely die. Well, Satan comes and he tempts the woman. He's in the form of a snake. And in 3, 1 to 5 of Genesis, we read, He said to the woman, this is the snake, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Twisting what God said a bit there. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now here's the contradiction. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Direct contradiction of what God said. You will surely die. Satan, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so you know the rest of the story. Eve believes Satan. She puts her faith in the word of Satan and she does not believe the word of God. She gives some of this fruit to her husband who was with her. He ate and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they were afraid, they felt shame, they felt guilt, and they went and covered themselves. They knew they were naked. Uh, and when God came to walk with them as he did, uh, they hid from him. And God had to call out Adam. He came after him. Adam, where are you? Uh, I heard you and, and I was naked and I hid. Well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And so from that moment forward, when, when the eyes of both of them were opened, there was a transfer, if you will, into Satan's domain and kingdom. And Adam, now when he had children, would not be born into God's family. There would be this, if you will, seed of Satan born. And we need to have new life spiritually brought into our being. This is Ephesians 2. Uh, we talked about this in the section on regeneration. But what happens as a result of the new birth is we are brought into a new family out of Satan's family, out of Satan's domain, and into God's family, into God's domain, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the family of Satan into the family of God. Now, this is in the New Testament. So I want to look at two texts to show this in the New Testament. Ephesians 2, 
1 to 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, in which you once walked. You walked in this trespass. You walked in this spiritual deadness, following the course of the world. Now, if you want to think about the course of the world, think about the course of a water stream or river. It just flows and it flows and it flows and it's always flowing. So there's the course of the world. It's flowing in a certain direction. And we were just in that course being carried along. Following, as we were in this course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So as we follow the course of this world, we are actually following, maybe not even consciously, most times not consciously, we are following Satan, or as he's named here, the prince of the power of the air, described as the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Who were the sons of disobedience? Well, we'll find that out next. Verse three, among whom we all once lived. We Christians were once these sons of disobedience, following Satan following the course or just the flow of the world, not even recognizing our state of peril. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So our desires ruled us and Satan directed our desires. We learn in first John, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. This is how the world works. This is the stream of the world, the flow of the world. And so Satan uses these three areas, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and we are carried along in obedience as he sets the world up to appeal to those three specific parts of our being that is fallen. Carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And so we just were ruled by our fleshly desires, our non-spiritual, non-spirit alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. We were rather following a different spirit, the spirit who is at work in all the sons of disobedience. That's what the text says. So we were following after Satan by following the course of the world, but not even realizing it consciously. Most people do not wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to follow Satan today. What is his will? Oh, great Satan. What is your will for me today? We don't often pray to Satan as fallen Uh, children of him. Rather, we have to be taught when we're transferred into the kingdom of light to pray, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we, we are consciously praying to our new father once we become Christians, but often we follow the will of our first father, Satan, unconsciously. Continuing, and we're by nature children of wrath. So notice, following Satan, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. You can see the language of family here. Children of wrath, that means children of God's wrath because we're living uh, opposed to him. We are at enmity with him. And then it says, like the rest of mankind, everybody. Okay. Then verse four says, but God, and then there's the good news, which we won't go into at this point. Then in John chapter 8, 42 to 44, we see this emerge again very clearly. Jesus is speaking to a hostile crowd. They are questioning his his claims. Uh, He's claiming to be the son of God. Uh, They say, his opponents, God is our father. Abraham is our father. And Jesus says to them in John 8, 42, if God were your father, you would love me. 
for I came from God and am here. In other words, if you loved God, if he was really your father, then you would actually be loving me because God, the father whom you are claiming is your father sent me. And I'm telling the truth. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then listen to 844. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, there it is. You can't hear me because God is not your father. The truth is Satan is your father and your will and his will are parallel. They line up perfectly. You want to do what he wants you to do. This is Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 that we just read. He continues, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth or the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan, his realm and domain is deceit and his language is one of deception and lies. He speaks that language very well. He's a master manipulator, the captain of lies and the captain of liars. Uh, and so we'll get into some application later of what that means when we're transferred out of his domain into a different domain. Now, when we become Christians, after there is the calling and regeneration and, and faith and repentance and justification, we are, we are adopted now into God's family. God is now our father, and we're told to pray by Jesus, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, and so Satan is no longer our father. We are alive to God. We are alive to Jesus. We are alive to the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is what partly our baptism points to. In the Great Commission, you remember, Jesus tells his disciples, you are to go and you are to multiply disciples, make disciples of who? All ethnicities, all ethnos, all nations. You are to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means you're in a new family. God is now your father in the name of the Father. Jesus is now your big brother in the name of the Son. And now you have a new spiritual power to live this life that God calls you to live. Namely, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we are taken out of the realm of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, put into the realm of light, the kingdom of light. And now God, the father, the supreme being, the all powerful one is our dad <laughs> and his son is our brother. Jesus is the capital S son of God. We are small S sons and small D daughters. But Jesus, the son, is our big brother. And he considers us brothers and sisters, really. And he is uh, pointing us to the father. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our father in heaven, etc." Now, Romans 8, 14 to 17, picks up on how the father, the son, and the spirit are related to adoption. He says, all, this is verse 14 of Romans 8, all who are led by the Spirit of God, there's the, the third person, are sons of God. All right, so there's that adoption language. We are sons of God. Why? Because we're led now by the Spirit of God, not the 
spirit of the world or Satan. So we are now led by the spirit of God, not led by, as in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, Satan, the evil spirit, okay? And often not him personally, but his spirits under him. Um, So we are led by the spirit of God. We are sons of God, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God's spirit is not a spirit of fear and slavery. No, but you have received the spirit of adoption, as sons. So the Holy Spirit here in Romans 8, 14 and 15 is called the spirit of adoption because it's by him, uh, by his working, by his movement, by regeneration that we are adopted into the family. The spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, that word means daddy. It's an intimate uh, father-son, father-daughter relationship kind of word. In fact, if you were to go to Jerusalem today, you would hear little children saying, Abba, Abba, talking about their dad. This is God is now our dad because we have been adopted into his family. And it's the spirit who works this in us. He confirms in us that we are the sons of God and that God is genuinely our father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So now you have the capital S spirit moving on our human spirit, and he is confirming this adoption. He's confirming that we are the children of God. Let me read it again. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, and if children, what does that mean for us? Then heirs, we inherit as God's children. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Jesus is the inheritor of all things. Remember uh, Philippians 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus gets everything. Everything is subjected to him, 1 Corinthians 15, except God himself. Okay, But we, in a mysterious way, are also heirs with Jesus. That's what the text says. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. When Jesus came into the world, he suffered. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We should not be surprised that we experience the same things as him on this earth. If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Do not think this is a strange thing, that if the world hates me, it's going to hate you also. Expect it. What are your expectations? But in addition, after glorification, Jesus is exalted highly in the same way. We suffer now, but exaltation is coming. Okay, that's what that verse means. We will be glorified with him, provided that we suffer with him now in this present world. How about 1 John 3, 1 to 2? See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Already using that family language. See what God the Father, this kind of love that he's given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We saw that earlier in John 8. Jesus said, look, if God was your father, you would believe in me. You would be all about me. You would be trusting in me because he's the one that sent me. And so because the world is following Satan, again, unconsciously, mostly, they don't uh, receive us. They don't walk with us. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now. This is the case. This is the reality right now. If you are a Christian, this is your reality. God is your father. Jesus is your brother. You have the spirit who is confirming this inside of you, working this reality out in you. And what we will be has not yet appeared. So there's an already now, but there's a not yet Our sonship, our daughtership will be fully realized in an amazing way in the age to come. What we are or will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So the sight of Jesus is going to change and transform us so powerfully that We will, you will look at one another, brothers and sisters, you will look at other Christians and it will be visibly manifest who are the children of God because they will have glory breaking out of them. I imagine similar to Jesus at the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. It will be evident clearly, physically, that these are the children of God. Just as if an angel showed up in your living room, you would know, okay, this is an otherworldly, this is not natural, this is supernatural. You would know. It would just be real to you. Well, in the same way, it's coming for the children of God. Right now, you put a non-Christian, a Christian side by side, can't tell the difference. If they're not speaking and they're not reading their Bible, you can't tell the difference. But coming, you will be able to tell. Put them side by side, one will be visibly Uh, manifesting that they are sons of God or daughters of God. Now let's move to Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. In the fullness of time, God the Father sent Jesus, born of woman, born of the Virgin Mary, born under the law, born under the requirements of the law. And Jesus fulfilled that law. You remember, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. That's what it means, born under the law, born under its authority, to fulfill it. To redeem those. Why did, why did, he, why did God send Jesus? Why was he born of Mary? Why was he born under the law? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus did this so that we might be brought from the family of Satan into the family of God. That's why God sent Jesus. And because you are sons, because you're God's children now, God has sent the spirit of his son. The spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Very similar to Romans 8. It's it's the Holy Spirit moving through us. The Spirit of God, the Father, the Spirit of Jesus, who confirms this. You're in the family now. God is your Father. By Him and by His moving, we we realize this, and it's confirmed to us that we are the children of God. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave. You're no longer under the law. You're no longer enslaved to sin and enslaved to Satan, but now you're a son. You're a daughter. If a son, then an heir through God. And real quick, the reason that daughter language is not used here is because the sons gained the inheritance in the ancient world. And so the sons and daughters gain inheritance, but the language here is biblical language. Um, and, and in that culture, the sons receive the inheritance. So the daughters also receive the inheritance in the sense that they are sons too, because the sons receive an inheritance. All right, let's move to application. So what does this mean for your daily life? Well, it it should mean a lot. Number one, that we turn from sin, that we may evidence 
not to get it, but to evidence that we belong to God and not to Satan. So we, the order is correct. First, you are predestined and elected. Then you are called in time and space. Then you are born again or regenerate. Then you are exercising faith and repentance. Then you are justified. Then you are adopted. There's an order here, which is why we're going through this order. But after the order, in our next podcasts here, we're going to see sanctification or growth in godliness. Maturity begins to happen. You grow from an infant into a young person, and then from a young person into an adult, into full maturity. Um, And so here we turn from sin, and this evidences or confirms that we are who we say we are. Our profession of faith is confirmed or our sonship and daughtership is confirmed as we turn away from sin and we show that we no longer belong to Satan. For example, in John 8, if Satan is the father of lies and we choose to continue in a lifestyle of deceit and manipulation and lying, who are we imaging? Are we imaging our Father in heaven who is truth and who has nothing to do with lie? Or are we evidencing our first father, spiritually, who is Satan, who is the father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language? So just in that one sin, that realm of, of manipulation and deception and lying, you can choose to tell the truth even when it hurts you, even when it does not benefit you, and reflect your Father and Jesus who himself said, I am the way, the truth, truth in a person is Jesus. And so in that way, we can, we can tell the truth, even if it hurts us. And in that way, we reflect our father. It shows we are sons and daughters of God, where if we want to lie and be manipulative and be deceptive, we actually show that, hmm, maybe we belong to Satan, or maybe we're living out that old lifestyle and we need to change and realize, okay, that's not who I am anymore. I'm not in that domain. I'm not under that dominion. I'm in this new domain. I'm under this new dominion of the the truth and not the lie. So in 1 John 3, 8 to 10, we read this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. There it is. Notice the practice. John is wise. In fact, if you go to 1 John 1, 8, it says, um, if anyone claims to be without sin, they're a liar. The truth isn't in them. And then he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so the, John understands that we are sinners. And if we claim not to sin, we're lying. <laughs> that's, that's how he opens his letter up. So by saying practice sin, he means this is a lifestyle. This is the way you live your life. This is how you operate. You are a practicer of sin. If you want to think of practice, think of a craft that you improve at. Maybe you, maybe you started off as, a, as an apprentice a carpenter and you were just learning how to how to measure off boards and cut boards but as you grow in your craft as you practice now man you're just flying through construction and you can throw up a frame in hours where before it took you weeks to throw up a frame and you get good as you practice in the same way singers uh, they might have some raw talent but as they practice they get good at their craft well here sinning is like that We can practice the craft of sinning and get very good in the realm of darkness. And there are many master 
sinners. <laughs> but we now need to practice righteousness and prove that we are of the Father of righteousness. We need to prove, in a sense, that we belong to him. So John here says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You didn't know John was a rapper. Sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's one of my favorite verses in 1 John. The reason Jesus appeared was to destroy Satan's work, to mess up his plans, to knock down his his fortresses, to destroy the work of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God, there's the born again language, makes a practice of sinning. So no one born of God, no one born again will continue practicing. It doesn't mean you won't sin, you will. But practice is a different thing than sinning and having to wash your feet. Uh, Using that example from when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter's like, look, not just my my feet, but my, my whole body. And he's like, look, those who've had a bath, born again, do not need to be rewashed. They just, they get their feet dirty and so they need them washed every now and then. That's the image of we sin as Christians, but we don't need to be regenerated again and again because there's an initial cleansing that comes with regeneration. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. God's seed is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit moves through us so that we, be, we stop practicing sin and we start practicing righteousness. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He manifests his life through us and we bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. He cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. And so John's argument here is the Christian cannot keep practicing sin because he is alive now spiritually and he has, he has God's seed living in him and through him. And so time will show whether a person is genuinely regenerate and genuinely in the family of God. Verse 10, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There it is, verse that verse, the 10 there, who are the children of God, adoption, and who are the children of the devil, our first family? How is it evident? What is their life like? Is there a practice of sin or is there a repentance of sin when we sin, a confession of sin when we sin, a desire to to kill the sin that lives in us, Romans 8, 13? Uh, That's going to be the evidence. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, John's being really blunt here. Nor is the one who does not love his neighbor. In other words, because the Holy Spirit, the first fruit is love, love, joy, peace, When we don't express love, when we don't practice doing right according to God's standard, we're evidencing that we don't belong to him. And so John's like, just look at the evidence. Now, again, it's not that we never sin. Okay, here's a good way to say it. It's not that we are sinless. It's that we sin less. (laughs) <laughs> and, and as time goes on, we sin less and less and less and less. But we, we sin throughout our whole lives. However, there is a change in our actions and in our attitudes and in our loves. And we evidence that we are born again. We evidence that we are now a part of God's family. Number two, application. You now have a new family. Do you relate to other Christians, especially those in your local church, as family? Do you think that through? So we say, my brother, my sister, those aren't just, you know, Christian phraseology. That is real, okay? 
God is our father and he has all these children and those in your local church who have a credible profession of faith are genuinely your real brothers and sisters. You are going to spend eternity with them. That's what the Bible says. And and sadly, this is a sad reality. Many of our own biological brothers and sisters are not going to spend eternity with us. And that's grievous. But at the same time, there's a reality in that we are taken out of this earthly family realm, out of blood, and we are put under this new blood, the blood of Jesus. And in this new bloodline, if you will, there are many ethnicities. There are many different kinds of children of God, many different languages, many different nations. This is Revelation 5. Every tribe, nation, language, people. That's our family now. But this finds clearest expression in your local church. And so here's the question. Are you relating to your local church as family? And if not, man, what do we got to do to start moving in that direction? Because that's the reality according to this adoption. You are adopted into the family of God. So are these other brothers and sisters. And if you're not living that out in some kind of way, there's a deficiency. And so you have family that maybe you're not engaging with. And that's not good. We need to uh, realize this family and begin to live it out. Now, I understand. I'm a pastor. I do a ton of counseling. Even in biological families, there is tremendous mess. There is tremendous discord. There's tremendous brokenness. And so we'll address this in the sanctification podcast. We grow into acting like the family of God more and more. But Number two application is you have a new family. You have a spiritual mother, spiritual father, spiritual brother, spiritual sister, spiritual children, because they are all under God as father, all united to Jesus as big brother. All right. Number three, friends, you are going to receive an unimaginable inheritance because Jesus is going to receive everything. Whatever reality exists out there beyond our solar system, and we don't even know how far that stretches and how do dimensions work. We don't, we don't even understand that in our physics. Whatever is out there all belongs to Jesus, not only because he created it, Colossians 1, but because he inherits it through his perfect obedience to the Father, perfect uh, keeping of the Father's will, then dying, humbling himself in death, even death on a cross. God raises him to the highest position possible under him. And so you have God the Father, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ owns everything. Now, the amazing thing is we are co-heirs with Christ. This is what Romans 8 says. Um, And so in some sense, we are going to inherit the universe, whatever that looks like. Uh, so, So what does that mean for us? Well, I think that means that we often look with envy and jealousy at people who have more than us they get that nice home or they have that nice car or they get to live in that nice nation or, you know, they get to go go see these nice places. And friends, this is so temporary compared to your eternity. Your eternity is going to be filled with all the things that you miss out on now. Okay. And so you don't need to be envious or jealous or, or bitter because you're not receiving it all now. You're not supposed to receive it all now. This life is not all there is. You're living in a secular frame, a secular framework. If you think you have to get it all now, and if you don't get it in all now, you've missed out. You've not missed out. The good is coming. 
And even if there's some good now, it's not capital G good. Now, we enjoy God's gifts. We enjoy his creation. We take vacations. We, you know, enjoy our technology, but it's not the capital G good. That's coming. And so I want you to think beyond this world and say, you know what? Someday, someday, rather than looking with jealousy and bitterness and envy and anger, you can say someday that's coming for me. And it will be better than if I got it now. And that's, that's the truthfulness. We are co-heirs with Christ. First, we will inherit God himself. That's the best of the best. We get God, okay? And so because we'll have God really physically manifest uh, Jesus physically with us, that is the best of the inheritance. In fact, this is what Revelation 21, 22 says, I saw no temple in the city. This is the new Jerusalem. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Meaning, the Old Testament temple was where God's manifest presence dwelt. Well, in the new Jerusalem, the capital city where the temple uh, would be, there is no temple. Why? Because God's presence fills the whole city. God is there, really. And actually, you don't have to go to this little location here in the Middle East, in the center of the city uh, of Israel. No, he's everywhere. There is no temple. His manifest presence fills uh, this new creation, this new heavens and new earth. So God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. We shall see him as he is, as First John says. So we get God first. Number two, what do we inherit? A new creation. This is uncursed, new heavens and new earth. So space, ours. What other planets are out there? What other galaxies are out there? We, we don't know because space is ever expanding when we build bigger telescopes. But that's all ours in the future. What will we be doing for eternity? I believe exploring other galaxies and worlds. This is going to be our playground for all eternity. We inherit the entire universe as big as it is, as many dimensions as there might be. Verse uh, 20, verse 1 of Revelation 21 says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, our current one, and the first earth, our current one, have passed away. Friends, we are going to get an uncursed reality. Creation no longer warring against us, but creation cooperating with us. We are going to have uh, relationships with animals in a way that we do not now. You know, if you roll up on wildlife, normally they run. They are, they are scared of you and they take off. Imagine a world where wildlife that will not harm you will come up to you and you can gather them to yourself and, <laughs> you know, you, you can go into the ocean without fear of sharks and other terrible sea monsters getting you because you will be uh, at, at shalom with them. Yeah, you'll be at peace with them. So the new creation is going to be unimaginable. Uh, imagine going out to the middle of the ocean and riding massive waves without any fear of drowning or encountering, you know, some, some mega shark or something. All right. Number three, what do we inherit? New bodies. Friends, we are promised that we are going to get resurrected new bodies like our big brother's resurrected body. We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And so this new body will no longer have problems. It will no longer have heart failure and cancer and varicose veins and, and hearing loss and blindness and confusion of the mind and depression and mental disorders gone. 
we have no idea what it will be like to have a body that is perfected because we have no category for that. You are going to inherit a body that is perfect. And so what application there? Well, right now, when your body begins to break, and it will, the older you get, the more you realize my body is broken. This is not all there is. You get a new body someday. Someday, a body without pain and without pain meds. It's going to be great. All right, more on that to come with glorification. Number four, last one. Full shalom. Okay, now, now the idea of shalom is peace in, in the Hebrew, but here's what it means. Peace with God first. Okay, we're at 100% peace with God. Number two, we're at peace with self. We, we are a whole now. We are disintegrated. We are not, we are integrated rather than disintegrated. We are, we are at whole uh, mind, body, and soul. We are one now, and we are at peace within ourselves. And, and number three, we're at peace with creation, which we just touched on. Full shalom is coming for us. Uh, we are going to experience a peace that we have no categories for currently. All these things have begun to be fulfilled now, but will be fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth, new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And so friends, we have a lot to look forward to. What does this mean ultimately for you? When you look into the future, you should have hope. You should not despair when everything is breaking around you, whether it's politics or economics or your body or your family. Don't despair now because this is not the end of the story. This is in one sense, the preface to the story. Okay? When God comes back and cleanses the earth, and there's a new heavens and a new earth, that's when chapter one starts, okay? So have hope as you look out into the future. Don't despair, don't crumble, Uh, all will be well, even though right now all is not well. Okay, we'll see you next episode.